Welcome to Sprints and Milestones, a podcast where Brett Harnett and Greg Story share war stories, tips, tactics, and anecdotes on navigating the sometimes rough waters of getting digital projects done. If you're leading projects and want some help and reassurance that you're doing the right things, you've downloaded the right podcast. Enjoy the show. This episode is sponsored by Team Gantt, a company I've been lucky enough to collaborate with for some time now. Team Gantt is an online project management platform that helps you to create intuitive and beautiful project plans. For more information and a free account, visit teamgantt.com. On with the show. So on our first episode, we introduced the topic of digital project management and how it applies to everyone. Uh, This week, we're jumping into these principles, starting with we are chaos junkies. And I think, Brett, you've got um, one of the perfect stories to kind of kick this off. Yeah. So I think in my career as a project manager, I've worked on tons of projects and many of them were chaotic. Um, And I don't necessarily always think of chaos as being a bad thing um, because I do consider myself to be kind of a chaos junkie because I know that I can jump in and solve problems. And if I can't fix them myself, I enjoy going to people and having conversations and having them help me solve problems. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a project that I was working on that actually was going really well until all of a sudden it just wasn't. Um, And I think a lot of people can relate to this. Um, So I had a client, they were, I would call them less than tech savvy. So that was always a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because they were people who didn't really understand the work that we were doing, which meant that they didn't understand why it took so long. Um, They could sometimes not keep up with presentations. And I actually like that kind of scenario because I can take the opportunity to educate a client on process and deliverables and break down how things work. Um, so that that part of the project that and that sort of little slice of chaos was okay by me. And as we're swimming along toward the end of the project, something that really felt almost unfathomable happened. The lead developer, really the only developer on the project, got really sick. Um, And there was obviously nothing that you can do about that, like human nature, right? Mm -hmm. But it meant that he was going to be out of work for an extended period of time with no contact. So essentially, all of the files were left uh, in one place created by one person. And of course, the client had a deadline. So just somebody dropping your only developer from the project is a little chaotic. Well, they probably also don't understand how difficult it is to come, you know, f- from behind, you know, and look at another developer's work and just simply pick that up and stay on track. Absolutely. Right? I think, you know, a lot of clients who are not tech savvy or not part of a process, which is many clients, um, mm-hmm. they don't realize that, you know, throwing another resource at a project isn't necessarily the, the, the solution to things. So, you know, that, that added to that, you know, you can't just plug and play. There, there's onboarding to be done when somebody new has to come into a project because not every developer works the same way. Right. Um, so, of course, we had other developers on staff, but there were no backups because everyone else was booked on priority work. And that's the way that it goes when you're working with a small team. So it was up to me to find a freelancer. And the work was being done in Drupal, which was kind of new to me at the time. And I wasn't really sure what I was working, uh, looking for, which was 
difficult. So I did have to pull in some people to help me to figure out how I was going to find the right person, how I was going to get this person onboarded when we did find them, and also how I was going to make sure that the person who was a complete unknown to me or anyone in my company, how they were going to actually do the work and if they were going to be accountable for it. So to me, that was a little scary. Like that was the chaos, right? Like, you know, missing the person who I was really relying on, who was really good at his job, and then replacing that with a complete unknown entity. Mm -hmm. So I had to organize the chaos. So some of the things that I did there were, first, I obviously had to let the clients know what had happened. And I was doing everything in my power to make sure that there were no issues. Obviously, they weren't happy, but they kind of had to comply. There was nothing else that we could do. There was no choice but for them to trust me and the rest of the team that we would fill that spot. So in order to make them feel comfortable with the chaos, um, I set up daily check-ins in the morning and at night. So I would check in with the team, figure out where tasks were so we we could move things um, and I could actually report back to the client so that they knew that we were doing the work. I found one developer on the team to take some time to review the work done um, and to help onboard the new developer because development is not my strong suit. I would never tell someone that, you know, I can actually review code and know that that something is quality. Um, and, and that's important, you know, knowing what you can and cannot vouch for in a situation situation like this and calling in the people who can help even at a minimal level is important. We set up an internal ticketing system for the developer to log questions without exposing those questions to the client because Again, I I wanted the clients to know like we had it, that it wasn't going to be a problem for them. So keeping some of that, the kind of like detailed confusion behind the curtain was important to me. And so then I I paid much closer attention to tickets. I organized thoughts, made every task really as clear as it could be for this new person on the team. Um, And I had questions in coming in to me from the clients, from the new developer, from my boss about how things were going. So I knew that I had to put extra effort and to make sure that everyone was comfortable and that I was kind of like smoothing out the the waves or the, the giant tidal wave of confusion that was coming at me. And I know it could easily go off the rails and that if it did go off the rails, it would pretty much be my fault because I was the one who was really trying to organize and mm-hmm. everything and, and kind of lead everyone to a goal. So I, I did everything I could to make the transition seamless, not only for our clients, but for the new freelancer to know that, you know, I had his back too, thinking that if he sees that I trust him, he'll trust me and, and actually will be accountable for the work. In the end, we launched three days late, but I still considered that a win given the the giant gaping hole in the project that took a few days to fill. The dev came back three weeks after the project launched and was able to revisit the code to make some changes um, that were sort of up to his standard. So when he came back from his leave, everything was pretty much done, but he wanted to make sure that his sort of seal of approval was on it, which I felt like was a really nice way on his part to kind of like wrap everything up and ensure that that time where the team went through a, a ton of change and confusion and chaos, like he came back to, to smooth it over and that worked out really well. Well, that's, um, that's just a little chaos for you, right? <laughs> just a little. Um, I mean, given that you were able to launch just, you know, three days late, given everything that had to be set up, I've been in a similar situation before and, 
that's um, that's not easy. My uh, my college mentor and a guy I took a lot of classes uh, with. He uh, and, and advertising, he would always say a client won't remember it's late as long as it's good. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't I think to some degree that's true. But I feel like there are people out there that, you know, they want you to stick to that schedule no matter what. So I'm kind of curious, having been in, in a similar situation, these clients in particular, were they empathetic at all to the situation? How did they respond to all this? Yeah. Um, so they didn't respond the way that I think I personally would respond, which would be, oh my gosh, is he okay? Is everything going to be all right? It was more about like, okay, well, that happened. So how are we going to beat the deadline? So we didn't spend a lot of time on the, you know, I hope so-and-so is all right kind of conversation. We focused more on talking about the solution to filling the gap and how we were going to be focused on resolving the issue, proceeding with the work, and making sure that we launched on time or as close to on time as possible. So I was really clear about, you know, this is going to create a delay for us. I'm really sorry. There's nothing that we could really do about it. I mean, honestly, there's nothing you can do when it comes down to someone's health. And if you're not a giant, a giant company um, with, you know, endless people to kind of go to. So really, it was on the the pressure was kind of like on me and the team to make sure that they understood that we were honestly doing everything that we could to make them happy. And I agree with you. I think a lot of times people will remember the recovery more than the problem, mm-hmm. um, which I like to think is what happened in this situation. They saw that everything was organized. We changed our approach for a new person coming onto the team. We did a lot of check-ins. Communication was almost kind of like double time. And it, and it worked out. Yeah, we were a couple of days late, but that really truly was unavoidable. Would I have liked for them to be a little bit more empathetic? Yeah, but at the same time, I understand business and I understand that every has someone to answer to and a deadline is a deadline. So we just did what we could. And that's, I think, you know, some of what compounds a situation like that too is knowing or given the size of the client. And I feel like, uh, you know, when you work in a small shop or a small department even, and you're trying to serve a, a much larger entity, whether that's a, a company, you know, organization, or even a larger department, I feel like there's a lot more pressure to stick to, you know, very rigorous schedule, you know, like the a very uh, a rigid process and any kind of deviation from that, you know, my experience anyway, uh, you know, it just gets met with a lot of stress and anxiety and, you know, being told that's not possible, you know, we are going to hit this deadline or heads will roll. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it just seems, I don't understand, but it seems to me it's impossible to try to follow a rigid process. I shouldn't say try to follow a rigid process, but to stick to a rigid process, even when things come up. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest thing that people don't account for when it comes to project management. You know, if a lot of people think project management is is following a process, which to a degree, you know, we, we do follow a process, but no project goes from point A to point B all the way to point Z perfectly. There's always going to be some kind of 
chaotic event that happens, whether it's someone leaving the project or the goals changing on the project or, you know, whatever it might be. There are a number of things that can happen. And so it's good to have an idea of process and things that you can or should do. But imposing some kind of like very strict structure to me is counter to productive. Um, I'd much rather identify points where process can change or where you could talk about points where process could change um, to be a little bit more proactive about that change rather than, you know, not knowing what to do when this kind of chaotic event happens. Um, I guess what I'm saying is no matter what you do, you have to be flexible or adaptable. It's not that we can't follow a book. It's just that we don't need to. Because in digital specifically, we're expected to adapt as clients require it. Um, You know, working in client services is a big part of that. But change change occurs pretty often. So we we just have to adapt to it. And I, I do feel like, you know, there's a lot to be said about understanding practices and processes and then breaking them to make new ones or adapting them. The process I set up for check-ins works smaller on smaller projects, and people actually like that, like checking in more often, because they know what to expect in terms of daily communication, and that's what worked well in the scenario that I described. But yeah, I think really what all of this is meant to say is that a good digital project manager is going to keep trying to get a situation right by trying new approaches to everything from communications to deliverables and process until it feels like they finally got it right and it fits. I mean, there's some education that you can do, particularly with the type of client that I talked about, to to get them to understand the process and how things are going to work. But it, it might not always stick. So mm-hmm. you have to change change course along the way. So we're, we're comfortable and I'm comfortable as a digital PM being in the thick of that chaos. And like I said before, sometimes, you know, we like it because we know there isn't an issue we can't solve because we're chaos junkies. Right. Well, so to that point, there's two things that, you know, since you and I have worked together that I've seen... I've either put into to practice uh, or one of my design directors has. And, and the first is in my time at IBM uh, running incubator projects, we learned after a season or two, a uh, cohort or two, that it was inevitable that the teams, no matter what, there was going to be a pivot. Um, and that's, it's, it was a change, right? And we, we called it a pivot because it wasn't necessarily like the work was going to stop and we had to, to start all over again. It was just the fact that the, the direction we were going in had to take a slight left or right turn. Mm-hmm. So we ended up just telling uh, the designers before these cohorts started that it was going to happen. You know, and it wasn't so much a, a scare tactic. It was more of just trying to set expectations, not only with the designers, but also the their stakeholders that they were working with. And, you know, chaos ensued. It always does. And even when you make that change, you know, it's probably the most chaotic because there's so many factors that you've got to address, you know, to make sure that the team's still delivering uh, on time. It's just that what they're delivering may, may change. And to that point, uh, in my current role, uh, I've got a number of design directors uh, that work for me, work with me. And uh, one of them uh, met with all of her stakeholders, got them in a room, and they went through some exercises to kind of define what chaos could look like and kind of what their working agreement is with one another. 
you know, so that it's almost like an emergency response system, you know, mm-hmm. so that when, when a problem arises, and that could be anything from, you know, not getting approval for user research or, or at least not, not in time, right? And a lot of it has to do with, with time that, um, uh, and, and, a, and understanding and agreement that if this thing, if one thing slips here, it has potentially that butterfly effect, right? Right. And, um, you know, I'd, we'll see how, how well it mitigates risk. It's, you know, to your point, it's not going to take away from the chaos. But I think, um, you know, given the example that you just uh, shared uh, with the, the client and, and the, the teammate who got sick, I think having some of those tools can help. I don't know, maybe draw out some empathy for one, you know, and, and kind of <laughs> get those folks to relax a bit to understand that no one's going to use that as an example or sorry, as an excuse of, of not delivering on time. Right. Right. That they should be able to, you know, trust that you're still going to get the job done and that you know how to navigate all that chaos that's, that's erupting, you know, all around. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here thinking, like, in, in that moment of chaos, maybe the, the most important thing for a lead or, you know, maybe all team members to think about is, what can I do in this situation to make sure that everyone is comfortable with how we're changing? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was, you know, double down on communications, make sure that people are really clear on their expectations of what they're to deliver and follow through on making sure that, you know, they're actually following through on that follow through as a communicator, I guess is what I'm saying. I I think to me, like that's the most important thing is that's where empathy comes in on the the PM side is how can I make everyone else comfortable on the client side? You never know what's going to come at you. (laughs) Um, So if you can just be a, a good communicator and understand goals and challenges on the client side, I think you'll be able to smooth things over as much as possible. Um, so just being open to conversations and, and being honest about change and chaos and letting them know that you know, you've got this, you're going to lead the team to the end, no matter what, that's going to make everyone comfortable. So, you know, speaking of chaos and, and the stories that you just shared, how do you know what kind of chaos junkie, uh, you know, are you? How, how does how does chaos appeal to you? What would how, how does it you feed off of it? So I think first you have to know that chaos is always going to be there, like it's creeping around every corner, right? So know what kind of chaos you can function in. Going in, you know where you can rally support in places where things are not your strength. So for me in that situation, it was around Drupal and development and code and making sure that somebody could actually come in and help me lead that. So I think it's it's about knowing your strengths, but also keeping in mind those goals and, and what other people are thinking. I don't think you can say I'm good at this kind of chaos versus that kind of chaos because it's always tricky and it's never clear cut, right? But just knowing that you can kind of take a minute to regroup, think about it, pull people in and solve a problem is really important. So speaking of strengths, um, have you heard of strengths finders? Through you, I have, but I've never taken the test. Okay. <laughs> well, just know it's about, it takes 30 to 40 minutes. It looks like it's going to take 10, but it, it takes a while. Yeah, the output of that, I think, is, um, you know, for anybody who's 
kind of even asking themselves, you know, what kind of chaos might I be able to handle and, and how do my personality traits um, end up being either a strength or, a, or maybe a, a factor in to how I'm able to manage chaos. The test can go a long way in, in I think, helping you understand how, you know, what type of chaos junkie that you are. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, so and, uh, and that kind of, you talked about communication, which is perfect because in our next episode, we're going to talk about how project managers have to be multilingual communicators, which is the next principle. That's right. I'm looking forward to that one. It's all about how we we speak different languages, not necessarily, uh, you know, me speaking Spanish and English, but me speaking about legal and IT and design and all of these topics that really come into play as a PM. Um, you kind of have to be able to, to speak a little bit of every language so that you can kind of keep things moving. Yep. But I think that wraps it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. If you want to learn more about the principles we're talking about on the first season of the podcast, check out my new book, Project Management for Humans. It's out now. Chapter two is all about principles over process, and you can learn about more about being a great communicator in that chapter. Thank you. Thanks. You sprinted to the end of this episode. Milestone complete. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for more resources on digital project management, check out Project Management for Humans by Brett Harned, which is available on Amazon.com or through Rosenfeld Media. And of course, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and check out our show notes and more at sprintsandmilestones.com.